How many of you would rather be here than the finest hospital in the Lehigh Valley? Raise your hand. We have a lot to be thankful for today. We are alive, we have sunshine, we have breath to breathe, and we have friends to gather around. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to do on this morning, this Sunday morning. And I thank God for the privilege of worshiping Him together with you. And so I want you just to turn and look at your neighbor, somebody sitting around you, and just say, it's good to see you this morning. Would you do that wherever you are? Just go ahead and do it in your home, at your campus, right here, wherever. Now, a year ago, we looked at the last uh, five Psalms in the book of Psalms, with the exception of Psalm 149, and I was sharing message opportunities with other pastors, so I pulled this one back and said, well, I'll, I'll speak that one this year. So here is this Psalm 149 that I'm going to speak from this year, and we're going to look at all the verses that are here in this passage. And it is talking about giving thanks to God with a new song. Now, there's nothing wrong with old songs. There's nothing wrong with something that's in the past. But we're not looking or searching for something in yesterday's news. This is a psalm that is targeting something that is beautiful. Now, most of you, I would assume, appreciate or like or at least tolerate music to some degree. Our nation is getting ready to shift all of its focus after this week of Thanksgiving is over toward the Christmas season, right? And we're getting ready to move in that way. And so we're all just about ready to hear Bing Crosby sing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And that King Cole chestnuts roasting, you know that song. Or Michael Jackson, I saw mama kissing Santa Claus. Or Mariah Carey, when she starts singing, all I want for Christmas is you. Or for some, it's the Michael Bublé, crooning that gets you excited about Christmas, or the Trans-Siberian Orchestra with their bright lights and their hip music, getting it on and bringing in the sounds of the season. Some of you might be into Taylor Swift's music or the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Can I get a witness in the house? And uh, you know that she has been on this big tour and the drive-in down the street has been featuring her heiress tour. And you know about that. Some of you will be into the Peanuts and Charlie Brown Christmas song. It's going to be coming real soon, right? Some of you have been playing this since last Christmas because you're a 12-month Christmas buff, and you love the music of the whole season, so you just play it year-round. I think the reason we do that is because it's, it's happy music. It's comforting music. It's soothing music. It's music that takes us to a moment and place in time that can be kind of nice. And so for some, you like to listen to Christmas music all year round. I'm one of those people. Brooke Ligerwood really made famous the song King of Kings that we sing at the church. And that's been downloaded over 30 million times. And Charity Gale, whose picture is there now, Charity she sang, I Speak Jesus, and popularized that song. 74 million views on that song. And this is a song that has helped get us through these 2020s and has been an uplift, as King of Kings has been. The backdrop of Psalm 149, Psalm means song. The backdrop of Psalm 149 is that God is always there. It's a song that is a new song. It is a song that is sung for all seasons, for the different seasons that we would experience in life. 
Every generation has the opportunity to run to God. And this generation has the opportunity to run to God as well. This psalm opens up, if you have your Bible open or if you're logged on, you can see it. It opens up in verse 1, concludes in verse 9 with three little words. Praise the Lord. And whenever it opens and ends with that psalm saying, it can be translated and it comes to us from a Hebrew word and it's a Hebrew compound word, Hallel. The word Hallel means to boast and Yah is a shortened version of the Lord's personal name, Yahweh. And so it means hallelujah, translated also praise the Lord. So we sing sometimes and we'll sing a song and say, I raise a hallelujah, that's I raise a praise to you, <laughs> a praise to the Lord. That's what it is talking about. And so it is praise the Lord, hallelujah, and we're lifting up a praise to him. So the thing we want to have happen as we look at this psalm is to think about our own lives. And though we can't always put ourselves in the scripture exactly, that would be what we would call eisegeting or cheating on the passage because it might not have been written just to us. But it is a song that was written by them for them, but it is also a song that echoes out to us because this has some of the overture, if you will, of the overtones of what happens in the book of Revelation because when you come to the second half of this song it begins to unpack the idea that God is going to make everything right and that's fully the book of Revelation and what Revelation is teaching us about. So I want this morning to look at the four guides that it gives when it gives us some perspective on following the Lord and worshiping and praising the Lord. First in verses 1 through 3 I notice what I would call the call to worship in song. Now, you may not be a song buff, you may not like singing, you maybe never took music lessons, music class, any of that kind of stuff, but I think you'll catch what they're saying here. In verses 1 through 3, it says that they are to sing in honor of God. You know, we sing songs like this morning's song set was pretty much testimony songs. That means God has done this and I'm praising Him for what He's done. Other songs are songs of worship and great anthems, and they are songs to God. They are songs telling God how great He is. They are songs describing to our friends around us, to the world around us, to anyone who would hear. We're singing a song of testimony that would be given to God. Here, as they would sing this song, verse 1 says, they're going to praise God because He is their Messiah. He is their Savior. They also are going to worship Him because He is their Maker and their Creator. And they praise Him because He is their King. He is the one who is in charge of everything. He is the one who is sovereign over all things. You see how you could have this song sung then and also be singing this song in the book of Revelation? It could be happening in both places, if you will. It is a song that begins by telling us who God is. It is a worship anthem that is lifted up from the heart, that is expected from the mouth, and it is a praise that goes to the heart of God. To say to him, we know you are our Messiah, we know that you are our maker, we worship you for who you are, and you are our king. So this morning, if we were to open the mic and give you a chance to give a thought of praise and worship to God, I would say that many of you would say, I thank God because, I thank God who has, or whatever he's done in my life. You would give a praise that would go directly toward God. You would give that. Don Wirtz and a singer and a writer and a musician he says, consistent and creative praise keeps faith alive and growing. And I must envision God as loving and caring and delighting in me. Then I'll be inspired to use all of my gift to give exuberant praise to God. 
I also notice in verse 5 that there are countless places in which we can worship God in song. Many, many places. Some are described right here. Notice in verse 1, they are encouraged to praise God in their gathering, in their sanctuary. Now, this literally is a word that translates for a gathering, and it can be a military gathering, because this is somewhat a military song. And so they are gathering in their, in their large crowds or their large gatherings, but it can also apply to a church like we are right now in a gathering like this. And so what is happening is, he says, I want you to be able to raise this mighty song to God in the sanctuary. And then you're going to do that in a corporate way with many people. You know, it's beautiful to be able to be in here and forget if you sing well or don't sing well, but to be able to sing the songs of the faith, to lift up your heart, to allow God to receive that which you give as an offering, as a sacrifice of praise. You know, while I go, I have nothing else to give that is fit for the king, but a heart filled with hallelujah, hallelujah. And I was thinking, you know what, when we realize that anything we would give to God is so short of what he would want. I mean, what do you get someone who has everything, who made everything, who's over everything? What do you give them? I mean, some of you are hard to buy for at Christmas time. You've already got everything. But they don't need to buy you something. You've already got everything. You're hard to buy. Think about God. What could we give him but our heart? What could we give him but our life? I don't think there's anything else that's really going to impress him. But when we give us, for some reason, he responds to that. And he's like, oh yeah. And this is what it's all about with him. And then as an individual here, he says, let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Now I look at that and I thought, boy, that's really in the Bible. Look at that. What in the world is that talking about? Sing for joy on a bed. When I go to bed, I try to sleep. I don't always do very well at that, but I try. <laughs> and so you lay down and you're hoping to catch some Z's and stuff like that. But, but the beds can also be places of sickness. They can be places of tossing and turning. They can be places of high stress. One writer said they can be torture beds when you're fighting battles in your mind, in your soul, in your life, trying to hit payroll and you can't, trying to do whatever and you're not able to, you can be that. This is what he's talking about. He said, these people have known what it is to worry. These people have fretted. These people have not rested. They have turned and tossed. But now something has changed. They have peace that surpasses description. They have the joy and the comfort of God resting in their mind and bringing their thoughts into order as if the chiropractor had just put the bones back into place. Oh, yeah. And now you're able to exhale and you're able to rest. Now, look at that, and I want to know what it was talking about from the Hebrew standpoint. Is it talking about just really only in the bed there? Is it talking about that? Really what it means is when you find your place to rest. Maybe you're a lazy boy. Uh, maybe it's your boat while you're out fishing. Maybe it's your deer stand when you're out hunting. Uh, maybe it's you know where you find that rest, and you're finding that, that moment, and you're giving a praise up to God. That's what he's talking about here. The psalmist says in 77, 6, I remember my songs in the night. My brother had a little radio about that big that he would lay on the windowsill as we had to share the bedroom that was about a 10 by 10 bedroom. <laughs> it was tiny. But there we were. And then on Sunday nights, Moody 
used to play songs in the night. Do they still do that? Songs in the night. I still remember that. We would open up the curtain. If the moon was out, it was a moonlit night. And we would lie there. He would be over manning the radio and I would be on the other side, closest to the door <laughs> to make the escape if the boogeyman came in. And so there I was some years younger than him and we were listening to songs in the night. Songs in the night, songs in the night, the Lord giveth songs in the night. And then they would come in with the other echo of the, in the deepest night. And I don't know what else it did, but I remember that. Not a great singer, not getting a bus, not hitting the road. But there's that song, mm. in the night. Psalm 42 and verse 8. Bring it up on the screen, please. And let's look at it if it comes up here. Is it going to come up here? Did it not make it in there? Let's don't look at it here. <laughs> they didn't get that in. I'll take responsibility. I probably didn't get it to them in time. But if you open your Bible or log on, you'll see it. Psalm 42, verse 8. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. I love that. Each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Verse 5, the message puts it, wherever you are sitting, wherever you are reclining, wherever you are at ease, the, the voice, not the TV program, but translation of the scripture, there's one called the voice. I started to abbreviate and say the TV, and then it would sound even worse, <laughs> the television, but it's not that. The voice. It puts it this way. Let his faithful followers erupt in praise, singing triumphantly wherever they are, even as they lie down for sleep in the evening. These people sang, and when they came together to sing, they put instruments together, and they sang, and they were excited to sing. They lifted their hands. They danced before the Lord. It was a celebration of praise to God who was on their side, and they were on his side, and he was their maker, their savior, their king, and they said, we want you to know that we love you, that we like you, we're all about you now in this place, and when we go out of this place, and I thank God for being part of a church that even though we're pretty staid in here, even though that we can worship the Lord through songs, we can worship the Lord through testimony, we can worship the Lord through the freedom of reading the scripture and praising his name. Can I get a witness in the house? And here's the thing I know as well. When I go home and walk into the house, I can say one of these commands. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Siri. Hey, Google. Play worship music. And it'll all of a sudden start playing that music for me. Or if I want my dogs to be able to listen to some music while I'm gone, I will say the same thing and then tell it to turn on soft jazz so they can have some soft jazz. My dogs like to rest to soft jazz music. <laughs> Countless places to sing and to praise the Lord. And then notice the cause of the worship in song. Verses 4, 6 through 9 also restore, uh, talks about this. Look at verse 4. Because the Lord delights in his people. What's it mean? He delights in his restored people. That's what he's saying. 
They have been in battle. They have been in trouble. They have had stress. They have had problems. But the Lord is taking special, specific delight in them, and His delight is expressed in them as something that is bringing peace and rest, and their songs and their anthems are being lifted to Him. Verse 4 says, He crowns the humble with salvation. Verse 6 through 9, look at this. He punishes the enemy of His people. He punishes the enemy of them. Let me tell you this. In our currency, it lists one nation under God. May we always be a nation under God. May we always remember God because He is our Creator, our Maker, our Messiah, our King. And it is He who provides for us such grand experiences that we have experienced as we continue to look to Him. And no matter the generation, we must never forget that. And because of the glorious privilege of His people, that is the privilege that He has given to us to be able to freely assemble and to worship Him in this place. So we know who God is and we have to opportunity to worship him anywhere, and here he gives us the why. Gerda Wiseman, she was in the Nazi death camp, and she said sometimes at roll call they would make them stand there, they were hungry, they were cold, till they nearly passed out. Brutal treatment they received. Thousands of ladies in this concentration camp. And she said, but all the ladies realized there was a crack in the floor at a certain place in this large building where they had them housed. And out of that crack came just a little flower. And the ladies went to great pains, all of them, to avoid stepping on that flower. Because in stepping on it, they would destroy the only thing that was bringing them joy. And some of you have had a very, very tough, rocky year. And there are no two ways about it. It has not been fun. You've been in and out of doctor's appointments. You've been in and out of car dealerships get, trying to get your car working right. Some of you have had job interview after job interview. Some of you have had health reports that have challenged you. Some of you have had all kinds of kids that have driven you nuts or parents that have done other stuff. And these things are challenging to you. And your heart has grown with the realities of life. I think we can join with Gerda and look for something somewhere and find something, even if it is a little flower poking through the crack of a concentration camp of our life. And then I notice something else, and that is the confidence of the worship song. You've got to have confidence that this song means something. Some songs are just ditties, and they mean nothing, right? They're humor, and they entertain us. I mean, whenever uh, Hank Williams used to sing, Why don't you love me like you used to do? What makes you treat me like the worn-out shoe? My hair's still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you? I mean, that has no real sense to it. You know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but this was a song they would sing in national warfare for confidence as they would go into battle. As a matter of fact, in national warfare, something that we don't understand, perhaps, if we don't understand that culture and what was going on then, they would, throughout different points of the Old Testament, model this type of behavior for us. Second Chronicles, as of, for instance, chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, records for us that after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambush against the men of Ammon, of Moab, of Mount Seir, and 
those who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. This is powerful. This is one of the reasons that worship services are structured as they are. We go out first with our song. And sometimes I wonder what would happen if we would start our worship to God, maybe before we go to him and say, God, give me. God, do this. God, you have to. Whatever. You must. (laughs) What would happen if we would just set our heart to worship? You know, in Jesus' pattern prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. The whole focus goes to God before the focus is turned to self. And when the focus is turned to God, it begins to align self. <laughs> it's amazing because then we come back to the essentials. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive our, those who trespass against us. And oh, by the way, please do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. You see what happened with that? There's a lot of praise at the beginning and it just continued on. Then, oh yeah, we need you to take care. And then there's coming back to praise again because they, really the real, realization is that God is great. Julia Ward Howard, many years ago, during the unwanted and unwelcome war of our nation, she sat down and she penned those words, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It was a song of triumph, and we still sing that song today. And for those of you that follow history and have watched the Von Trapp family from Austria, you see that they used music as part of their escape when they were in the torture of communism and the nasty, debaucherous, communistic, Nazi style of leadership. May this world never embrace that in our nation. And just in the last few weeks, I've seen the Israeli soldiers, as you have, in the reports where they are singing songs, not just the national anthems, but songs about God as they're involved in conflict. And may God settle and resolve that conflict. And the conflicts that are happening in other countries around the world, not just ones that I would stand here and name immediately like we'd all think of Ukraine and in in the Holy Land, but beyond that. Praise is a great weapon that we all have. And I think one of the greatest ways this nation was won was not with guns and muskets and not with bombs and cannons, but one of the greatest ways this nation was ever won and brought into existence was on the knee as we prayed. That's where it's at today, and that's where we must be. And then there's personal warfare, I believe, happens here as we have confidence in our worship song. Families go through different kinds of troubles. Some of you over the last year have gone through an unpleasant, unwanted, unasked-for divorce. Or maybe you did things that were wrong and bad, and you still have the divorce. But here you sit today, while pastoring in Bethlehem, we had a very robust, strong divorce care ministry, and we're growing one here, and it's working beautifully, and it's meaningful, and if you need it, go to it. It will help you, and the grief share ministry, they're great to help with both of these types of things, but over there, they used to embrace that. It's a scripture out of Ecclesiastes, and it is also, it has also been turned into a song in his time, in his time. He makes all things beautiful in his time, And it talks about how God can take the paintbrush and repaint your story is what it's really saying. And some of you today need to embrace that in his time. Personal warfare. And some of you, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, you've had a child that has given you a run for your money. It always is amazing to me how you could have a little child held in your arms, created by both mom and dad who are in love with each other. And all of a sudden you realize that child has a personality of their own traits of their own, 
all kinds of things of their own, <laughs> oh man, an opinion of their own, and you find out they get to make decisions just like you did when you were growing up. And sometimes they don't make decisions that honor mom and dad or honor God. And sometimes they give you a run for your money and they give you a challenge. And it seems like you, you are laying on your bed at night and there is no rest. You're not getting your sleep. You're getting tears and you're getting anxious and anxiety is rising high in you. But what they are doing with this song is having a confidence to say, God, I know that you can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so we lean into you no matter the pressures of life or the experiences we have as a nation or as individuals. Fenway Park is where the Boston Red Sox play. It's the oldest baseball stadium or one of the oldest baseball stadiums. It's, I think, older than Wrigley Field. But anyway, it's, it stands there as a proud place, and Pam and I drove by it last year on a trip up north in New England states, and it's, it's an old stadium, and it has lots of stories to tell, I'm sure. But in the seventh inning, they would sing, take me out to the ball game like any other stadium you'd go to, in seventh inning stretch. But they adopted something else in the eighth inning, they adopted the song Sweet Caroline. And so they started singing Sweet Caroline, you know that song? And so they were singing that. Well, then, you know what happened in about, what was that, uh, 2013, wasn't it, when the bomb blasted with the Boston Marathon? You remember that? So distasteful, so wrong, so evil. And when that happened, they were off from the ballpark for four or five days. They didn't want big crowds together. And eventually they felt it would be okay after they had resolved what they felt was a crisis of that matter. And so they went back to the stadium. And everybody was wondering, are they going to sing Sweet Caroline? It had been the sound guys, one of his favorite songs, so he brought it in. He's the guy that started. What would happen? What would they do in the eighth inning now? Seventh inning, take me out to the ball game. They knew that was happening. Peanuts, Cracker Jack, that was happening. But they didn't know what would happen in the eighth inning. What would you have done? eighth inning, back here in the stadium. Are you going to let them take your song? Are you going to let them steal your joy? They brought Neil Diamond, who had recorded the song, and said, you sing it, and we're singing with you. And their 37,000 people made a choir, and they sang Sweet Caroline anyway, in the face of evil. We're not going to let her steal our song number of years ago, we had about 40 people that sang in our choir. And the choir was pretty popular for a number of years, and we appreciated the ministry in its time. And as a pastor, you get to know people's lives because you interact with them, and so you know a little bit of their story. And so I began to know the people's story across the choir. Half of that choir had really tough stories, at least half of them. Half of them. So when they started singing, take up your cross and follow Jesus, I knew they knew something about it. They were doing it. Not that the others didn't, but they did. They were doing it. They had gone through terrible loss in their life. They had come through great pain in their life. They had a testimony, I'm still standing, though life has been rugged. They would not give up. They did not give in. And I would say to whoever was leading the choir, I have a message for you to share with the choir. I didn't go in and talk to the choir much. But I said, I have a message for you to share with the choir. I want you to go into the choir and tell them, do not lose your song. And today I say to you, church, 
here in the lobby, in the parking lot, online, and at Palmerton, and at Lehighton, and wherever you're watching this from in the next few weeks or a few months, I want to say, don't lose your song. God gives songs in the night. He'll give you a song. Keep singing for him. Keep trusting in him. Keep leaning into him. Keep looking to him. Keep worshiping him. And through it all, you'll be able to come through with a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving, your voice raised to God as you raise your own hallelujah, as you raise him up as a king of kings and Lord of lords in your life because you know that he is in charge and he's going to win the battle. Don't give up. So when you sit at the Thanksgiving table this week, be thankful for something. Don't gripe if they give you cranberry sauce. It's homemade. As bad as it is, it's horrible. But don't gripe. Bring it out of the can. Hear it slide forth. Cut it up. Slurp it down and enjoy. And raise your hallelujah. And all God's people said, I didn't even hear you. All God's people said, now he may have even heard you. Lord, we thank you that you are with us and you are in us and you are working through us and you are for us. You're in our yesterdays, you're in our tomorrows, but you're also in our today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with us in our now to give you praise and thanks for yesterday and praise for our tomorrows as we anticipate your grand provision of your presence in all circumstances. And for this, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.